0: Uh, So in 2008, the first Iron Man came out in movie theaters. Bet you didn't think I'd start there with my sermon. So uh, it was all the rage, so of course I had to go see the movie. Uh, And I got there one Friday night, I'm sure, and spent probably $35 of my parents' money to go see it. Uh, And I got to theaters, got a ton of popcorn, and sat back to watch Tony Stark, uh, Mr. Iron Man himself, blow up a ton of buildings. Have you ever noticed how many buildings they blow up in those movies? It's insane. So when I got to school the next day, yes, I was still in school in 2008. Don't try to figure out my age. uh, All of my friends were talking about a scene of the movie that I had clearly missed. And they kept talking about this thing called the Avengers Initiative, and I realized that I've lost half of you by talking about this, and I've gained half of you, and that's okay. (laughs) But they were talking about this thing called the Avengers Initiative, and I had not seen that. And, guys, I was glued to that movie screen. I mean, I was watching for every single scene of where that thing was, and I had never heard of the Avengers initiative. And apparently what I had missed was that in 2008, uh, Marvel Comic Universe rolled out a post-credit scene. Like 48 seconds, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? 48 seconds later, and it was like all the rage, like which movies do you sit and wait for all of the names to scroll by, you know, so you can sit and wait and see 48 seconds of the scene. And I had missed that because in my giddiness, I had sprung out of my seat to go, I think, tell all my friends that I saw the movie, I didn't wait for that post-credit scene. So I did what any responsible, financially responsible uh, 17-year-old would do. I got my parents' debit card, and I went back to the movie and watched the entire two-and-a-half-whatever-hour film for a 48-second post-credit scene. And it was worth every penny. (laughs) Now, this this sermon today is a little bit like a post-credit scene. Last week, we talked about a man named Barnabas, our series, Just Like Barnabas, we talked about Barnabas and Paul, two great giants of the faith, who had come to a point in their lives where they were going to go back to the church of Antioch, a church that they had helped to find, to, help, to found. And they wanted to go back to check on them, except they wanted to take, Barnabas wanted to take a man named John Mark. And if you remember from last week, John Mark, on a previous mission journey, had, um, had abandoned Paul and Barnabas. He, for some reason, we don't know, the Bible's pretty nondescript about what happened he ended up uh, hightailing it out of the mission journey back to Jerusalem, the home base. And when Barnabas brought this up to Paul, what happened was something that we should all be pretty uncomfortable with. Two brothers in the faith came to, and I don't think we can undersell this here, because in the Greek, it would say almost, you could translate it as a violent outburst. Paul and Barnabas, two giants of the faith, breaking fellowship, To our knowledge, never seeing each other face-to-face ever again over a disagreement. And man, like, I love that the Bible doesn't try to clean that up. That it gives a good picture of why we should never worship people like Paul. Never worship people like Barnabas. But they left, and if we didn't stay for the whole thing, or if we didn't read our Bibles carefully, we would think to ourselves, that was a disagreement that never got mended. But it's not meant to be that way. And praise, praise God that it was not that way. In one of Paul's letters, 2 Timothy 4.11, uh, where we'll be today, in one of Paul's letters, we see a snippet of what happened years and years later behind the scenes of that argument. And it is from that scene, like it is from this little small snippet, that we are able to process what it means to forgive what it means to be forgiven, but here's the most important thing. What our investment in someone else's life, no matter how small or how big, what that can mean for them forever. So, for that post-credit scene, and this is a long passage we're going to read here, so you might want to stretch. Will you stand with me uh, to read, in honor of reading God's word, 2 Timothy 4, 11. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. God, we love you. Speak through your word. Make me really, really small. And God, make you really, really big. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Only Mark, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. This little snippet, Gives us a picture of beautiful gospel reconciliation and discipleship that can happen when we are people like Barnabas. But let's talk about it real quick. So, uh, I got three points today. My first one is this is that we have all been Paul, right? I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it's convenient. We have all been Paul. So, in Acts 13 13, like we said earlier, we learned that Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. Now, Earthly kind of reason here. And Aaron touched on this last week, but I want to hit on this a little bit more today. Did Paul have every right to be mad uh, at John Mark, to be mad at Barnabas? I would go ahead and say this from an earthly perspective. I think that Paul had every reason to be mad at John Mark. If you'll turn over with me to 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, we'll see this. Uh, he says this. Paul says this about himself. Like this dude is like special ops Christian kind of deal. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me concerning my need for the church. Now, Paul, special ops kind of guy, makes... Whatever Bear Grylls does on TV look like a day in the spa, right? Paul had every earthly right to be upset at this guy. And, like, here's the deal. You might be there today, and someone might have wronged you. And you were clearly in the right, and they were clearly in the wrong, and it might not even be a gray area. It might be a black and white issue where they were just wrong. However, friends, family, brothers, sisters, what if we saw our wrongs, the people who have wronged us, as opportunities to demonstrate the radical and relentless love of Christ? If the point of this life is not to be right, but if the point of our lives as Christ followers, and if you're not a Christ follower here today, you're getting to check out what we believe, but if the point of this life is is not to be right, But is to know God and to make Him known, then what better way to know God's heart and to identify with Christ than to forgive when it makes no sense? Whatever work had been done with Paul and and John Mark, clearly there had been reconciliation. Paul, in the last days of his life, in a jail cell where there is no light, it's only darkness and, and wet and nastiness, is asking for this person who he literally got into a fist fight with over. Like, that is the radical love of Christ. I look at Jesus dying on the cross as Roman soldiers were fulfilling prophecy said about him hundreds of years prior. They were gambling his clothes away. And what did Jesus choose to say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. C.S. Lewis says to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And before we make this a, a one-way conversation, let's acknowledge that there is hurt, there's deep pain, and forgiveness is something that is, is, gosh, it is not a natural thing to do. And there are times where we, even if you forgive someone, you have to have boundaries. But friends, forgiveness is not weakness disguised as permission. Rather, it is power that is cloaked in the blood of the Lamb. Forgiveness is not weakness disguised as permission, but it is power that is cloaked in the blood of the lamb. Why? Because of the fact that it needs the power of Jesus to happen. All the time, like, I want to see, like, miracles, right? I want to see people, like, raised from the dead and leprosy healed and all these kind of, like, I want to see the miracles that people saw or in the early days, but because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we actually get to do something more powerful. We get to forgive people of their wrongs against us, and there's power in that. Don't we want to see that? In today's culture, forgiving someone is a miracle, friends. To be fully reconciled with someone you had to forgive is a modern-day miracle. In the division of our world, let us be known by our radical forgiveness, not our radical rightness. People don't need to see another argument won on technical grounds. They need to see people who are radically about Jesus and his love. You can win an argument and still lose a heart, and that is a loss as a Christ follower. That is a loss. So Paul, thorny, prickly, not so great with people skills, Paul. Paul. Worked through this, and on his last dying days, the person who wronged him, what he felt like the most, he beckoned him to come with him, to be with him as he died. May we long to live to be reconciled so that when we go to heaven, we are reconciled with the great Savior. So we've all been Paul. But on the flip side of that, uh, and I'm definitely going to throw myself into this category, we've all been John Mark. We've all been John Mark. We've all been in the spot where we have completely blown it. Anybody here ever completely blown something before? Right? You, yeah, I know. It's, that's not a popular thing to raise your hand on. I get it. Right? But we've all been in a spot where we have completely blown it, and our thoughts continue to condemn us. How many times have we been driving down the interstate, and you're just going about your day, and then all of a sudden something from 10 years pops up into your brain, and you think, I was such an idiot for that. Do you realize that that's Satan condemning you when Christ has set you free? So we've all been John Mark, and you knew that you were supposed to keep someone's confidence, and yet you blew it. The marriage that you had went a completely different direction than it was ever supposed to go. The job you had, the friendships you had, it all fell through because of something you did, and that is something that we should lament and our hearts should break over. But let me tell you this, John Mark's story here, and is, is an example to all of us that no soul is too far gone for God to bring back. You are not too far gone. Person who has messed your life up, you are not too far gone. That is the beautiful redemption picture of the cross, is that the ground is even at the foot of Jesus Christ. That no heart is too hard for God to soften. No son or daughter is too lost for God. I love in Micah seven eighteen through 19, it says, Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? That's us. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends, let us not forgive ourselves less than God has forgiven us. Whatever your story is, there is a character in the Bible who is used in mighty ways whose story on earthly perspective was worse than your own. You see, the dynamic of forgiveness in the Bible is always releasing one from the past. You are released from the past. The past acts and deeds of sins are not denied, but there is no longer any bondage. Forgiveness brings freedom. Maybe there's someone here today who you have been hurt. Someone has hurt you or you have done the hurting. Martin Luther, a guy who lived a long time ago, says that even our best intentions need to be washed in the blood of the land. How much so do our worst actions need to be? But there is forgiveness. And the cross is the fact that God not only says that he loves us, but he shows us that he loves us. Friends, God's grace in your life, God's grace, I think a lot of times we think it's just something that we kind of get as like a, a, a hall pass or something that we get for like an, an oopsie-doops that we messed up. But guys, grace isn't just mercy, but it is power to move forward forward in the mission that God has called you to, even when you completely blow it. He is not through with you yet. He is not through in your story yet. And who here knows that it's oftentimes the ones who have blown it the worst that can forgive the most radically. Don't be ashamed of your story. Your story could be the healing that someone else needs. And I love John Mark. Do you realize that John Mark, the guy that we've been talking about these past two Sundays, wrote the gospel of Mark? John Mark, the one who completely blew it, that Paul at one point didn't want anything to do with, wrote the gospel of Mark. And many theologians think that, that John Mark went down to Egypt and founded the Christian church in Egypt that still thrives until today. Like, that's that's redemption. That's reconciliation. And you are not only forgiven, but God's grace gives you the power to keep moving forward. But finally, uh, so we know we've, we've all been Paul. And we know we've all been John Mark. And there's one person here, and I don't think you can have a sermon series entitled Just Like Barnabas and not talk like about Barnabas, right? So there's one person in this story that was not mentioned today. His name is Barnabas. After Paul and after Barnabas disbanded, uh, after they didn't want anything to do with each other, Paul went and took Silas, and he did his own deal. And Barnabas took John Mark, and he went down to Cyprus, and he did his own deal. A beautiful story about how God can still use messy situations. But, you know, I don't think it's too far of an extrapolation to think that Barnabas knew that John Mark messed up. And I can imagine that they had many days on the open ocean together or in the open roads where they were talking. And I can imagine, and I don't think it's too far of an extrapolation, that Barnabas poured into John Mark and was a beautiful part of this restoration. So my question for you today is, will you, will you be Barnabas to someone? Will you be Barnabas? Barnabas, the guy who took John Mark in at his lowest when Paul would not believe in him. Barnabas' investment was the one that set John Mark on the path that he was at. You see, in this life, friends, in this life, success as a Christ follower means that your fruit, your success in this life will grow on someone else's tree. We could go around this room right now and people could, every single person could give you a testimony. Give someone a testimony about how a grandmother, a grandfather, a father, a mother, a friend poured into and invested into you. But do you realize the gospel came to you because it was on its way to someone else? Jesus' power does not just terminate, does not end with you. It is not Jesus died for my sins, now I get to go to heaven, amen, and I'm just going to wait it out until then. It is Jesus Christ has died for you so that you could tell other people about him. Live to see the day where there are more people in heaven because of the radical life that you have lived. That's what Barnabas did. Friends, that's the King Jesus that we serve, that gives away ministry, that does not just keep his grace, but shines it all around so that the world might see that Jesus is good. Do you not think that it's a little bit weird that we who have a great God who is invested into us do not spend our lives investing into other people? Does it not seem like a broken link somewhere? So my question is for you, as we wrap this entire series up, So as we the culmination, so whether this is your first week with us or if you've been all with us all eight weeks, my question for you is this is will you be like Barnabas? Who are you investing in? Who is making a difference? If God answered every single one of your prayers right now, would you have really blessed food and really safe nights? Would anybody be in heaven because of those prayers being answered? We are called to go our lives are too short god's kingdom is too real god has called us to pour out our lives for the glory of god and i'm begging with you right i feel like i say that a lot from this stage so maybe that loses its effect i don't know but i'm begging with you right now to think outside of your daily schedule. And I know they're crazy and I know there's hurt, but friends, Jesus has given us the grace so that if we put ourselves in a position position to need his power, then he will give it to us. God gives his power to those who put themselves in a position to need it. Barnabas's life does not make sense outside of this. And I know we think to ourselves, like, man, like, Barnabas is in the Bible, and uh, Paul is in the Bible, and these guys wrote books, and all I'm trying to do is just try not to have my, like, to not kill my kids, right? Like, that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to make sure that they don't only eat hamburgers for the rest of their lives, right? Like, I get that. But God has put you in the sphere of life that he has put you in to make a difference. He wants more for you than just having an amazing 401k, an amazing house. He even wants more for you than having the 2.5 children and the white picket fence. Like, he wants more for you than the American dream. The American dream can't touch salvation. So pour yourselves out for the glory of Jesus. Now, here is the... um, the action step behind today. If you guys would just take one of these cards with, yeah, just go ahead and get it in your hands. Like I'm going to be reading for, so I want you guys to see it. There should be one close to you if it's not in the seat there, but that's what these cards are. And right, and I thought the other day about the idea that this feels real salesman market kind of stuff, and it's not. Like I'm so grateful that our church has done this, right? So that's what these cards are all about right now. Um, it, it's not some proverbial accountability tool, right? Where we've been asking you guys to look at this. Where we're going to say, Hey, I need you to fill this out. And then I'm going to check. And if you have not uh, gone to a place class or you haven't read your Bible every single day, then we're going to come knocking at your door. It's not that, but there is accountability for yourself to do it. Now, friends, family, if we are called to be just like Barnabas, then something like this is just meant to be a tool for a life that is meant to be lived for Jesus Christ. So I literally have like, like four things highlighted here. Um, it's our vision, 500,000 gospel conversations. Uh, I have highlighted perhaps you want to be equipped and how to have a gospel conversation. Friends and family, it was a gospel conversation that saved me. Could it be the idea that you would even check mark a box that would make you think about who is the person that you're supposed to have a gospel conversation with could mean the difference for someone's eternity? Not in a legalistic way that we're like, I don't know, who am I supposed to go have this conversation with? But that you would sit down and say, okay, Lord, I pray right now that I need to be equipped in how to have a gospel conversation. Teach me. No matter what happens in life, whether it's good or bad, if we pray, it's an act of mercy because we get to see Jesus that much more fully. Or even this next one, attend a place class to understand my gifts and passions. It is amazing that there are so many people who understand what they're good at for their jobs, but they don't know how to, or they don't understand how God has equipped them to be in the body of Christ. You know, a church member, right? We have membership is a lot less like a country club like a country where you pay dues, you get to go hit a couple of golf balls, and it's a lot more like a member of your body. That if the right arm is not functioning or if the left foot is not functioning, then the whole body does not function how it should. Friends, we need for you to know how God has gifted you because we need you to invest and pour into us. Right. The third category is, um, I'm highlighting, commit to joining a a disciple-making group. I am the discipleship minister, so it does feel self-fulfilling, but it's not, right? I have seen, and there are life group leaders that I'm seeing right now in this room, Bible reading group leaders, mentors in this room that I'm looking at, who I know could stand up and tell you right now that their group has blessed them far more than they have been a blessing to their group. And there are people who have been in a life group who have said that their life group was when the gospel came alive. Do we know that life change does not happen in these rows, but it happens in circles. When you are gathered up in someone's home, living out the truths of of faith. Get into community so that you can put yourself in someone else's story. And then finally, um, next step in generous giving, I I put starting, like starting, give to the church for the first time. Um, I'm newly married. Uh, I've been married for like a a little over a year, so my my expert marriage book will come out next month. It'll be great. Um, And one of the hardest things for my wife and I to do was to to give of our finances, to give to the church in that way. Because I'm here all the time. I'm moving chairs for the glory of God, right? I'm doing all these things. Jesus, can't you understand that I'm doing all these things for you? There's this aspect of giving that says, man, it is not the doing, but that it is the being. That it's experiencing Jesus. When we let go of what is already his, that we actually get to experience him walking alongside of him. I was having a conversation the other day. Someone says, I'm making like half the money that I I was making in my former job as a finance person. He's a pastor now. And he's like, and we just committed to continue to give. And I don't understand, but the dollars are seemingly stretching. And that doesn't make sense to me, but Jesus is providing. Who would know that, man, the earthly money that is gone as quickly as we get it, that is worth the experiencing of Jesus as our Savior? We are asking for you guys to prayerfully... Check one of these today. And not in a way that it's going to be like, they do it, but in a way that says we want you to be like Barnabas and that if we are to see Nashville, Tennessee, one for Jesus, we have to unleash the people of God in this church and churches all across the city to make sure that everyone knows the real Jesus. It's not a Sunday morning experience. It's an entire life, a life of giving yourself away. So, friends and family, my question for you is Will you be like Barnabas? Not a th- super heady theologian like Paul, not a leader of an entire nation like Moses, not the rock that Jesus built his church on like Peter, but will you be faithful? To invest and to pour into others like Barnabas, ultimately like Jesus. That's the glory of what we are doing, the King that we are serving. How could we give anything but our entire lives? Will you pray?